This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Deborah Yao, a senior editor here. With me today is Wharton accounting professor Daniel Taylor. He and his colleagues at Wharton and Indiana University did some research on insider trading, specifically focusing on trading by management and directors around the time of the audit reports. Their paper is called Audit Process, Private Information, and Insider Trading, and it was recently named the best academic paper by the renowned John L. Weinberg Center for Corporate Governance. Daniel is here to talk about their findings. Welcome. And congratulations. Thank you. So first, can you give us a bird's eye view of your research and what you found? Sure. So uh, big picture, my research uh, in general uses big data and analytic tools to discern patterns and detect opportunistic reporting and, uh, and trading by officers and directors. Uh, and so this, this particular paper was based on a large-scale data analysis of uh, all Form 4s filed by officers and directors of all publicly traded companies. And for those who aren't aware, Form 4 is where an officer and director has to uh, publicly disclose the trades that they make in in their firm's uh, uh, equity securities or or shares. Now, a couple of caveats, uh, just to be clear, because we're doing big data, uh, one limitation of the an analysis is that while we can identify suspicious behavior and we can raise red flags about certain individuals and companies that are in the data set, we can't really speak to uh, legality. So when I use the word insider trading, I'm talking about trading of corporate insiders, not the sort of insider trading that you might see of, of, of hedge funds and, uh, and whatnot. And so in this particular case, we're going we're gonna to get into a gray area, which it really looks like it might be illegal. But because we're at the big data, we're at a high level, there could be extenuating circumstances. There are specific contexts that would need to be taken into account in a particular case. And that's one trade-off when using big data is we can see big patterns, but we can't sort of do a deep dive on any one or one particular uh, company. So this particular paper, having got all, all the caveats out of the way, this particular paper examines whether corporate insiders trade on information about audit outcomes before those audit outcomes are, uh, are publicly disclosed. Okay, And so we're going to take a sort of a, a Sherlock Holmes approach to the data, and we have data on audit outcomes, and we have data on who did the audit, and we have data on who's trading and, and when they're trading, and we're going to correlate the two and take a Sherlock Holmes approach to see what patterns are in the data and, and, and what they sort of, you know, what the patterns sort of suggest. Uh, one important thing uh, to keep in the back of your mind to provide some context on the research is that a lot of firms have uh, what, what's known as insider trading blackout windows. And those blackout windows govern when the company allows insiders to, to trade. Uh, those blackout windows are not required by the SEC, nor are they enforced by market regulators. They're, they are, you know, the company can choose whether to have them, and the company can choose whether to enforce them or not. And so in some previous work that I've done, we, we did a survey and looked at the blackout windows and found that most of the blackout windows um, are, are written around earnings announcements. So a blackout window might say the insider cannot trade 
say, two months before the earnings announcement through two days after the earnings announcement. Um, but but what's what's interesting about this paper and, and audit is there have been some changes. For those of you that follow markets, you know that uh, Sarbanes-Oxley was a big change, uh, both in markets and in, in audits. And so before Sarbanes-Oxley, most audits actually came out at the same time as the earnings announcement. So some statistics would be sort of before 2003 and say for year 2002, you know, 25% of firms had the audit complete at the time they were announcing an earnings announcement. Uh, but now fast forward to 2016, and only 60% of companies have the audit done at the time they announce earnings. And that's because after Sarbanes-Oxley, audits are, are, taking, are taking much longer. So now it's very common that the audit results come out after the actual earnings announcement. And those audit results, because they come out after the earnings announcement, um, many many days later, are now that those audit results will be outside of the earnings announcement blackout window, a period in which the the firm may allow insiders to uh, uh, to to actually trade. And so, given that institutional feature that audits are taking longer, that trading blackout windows are commonly written around the earnings announcement. You know, a natural question is 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 whether that longer audit uh, is being potentially providing managers with private information that they're that they are uh, exploiting, and so it's it's not surprising to say that managers and directors know what the audit's findings are before the public, and now we have an institutional setting where the blackout window may in fact be open at some companies, not all companies, but some in our sample. And so our, our question is, is rather simple. Can we examine whether the insiders trade uh, based on their, their foreknowledge of, uh, of, the audit, uh, of the audit outcome? So um, what are some of the rules around uh, insider trading currently? So the current rules are, you know, the standard, it's illegal to trade on material sort of non-public information. Uh, and that, that applies to, you know, to, to everyone you know, uh, officers, directors, hedge fund managers, et cetera. Um, but uh, officers and directors also have something known as a fiduciary duty. And the fiduciary duty um, uh, causes them to have to adhere to a rule which is uh, informally known as the disclose or abstain rule. So if, if the director or the officer has material non-public information, their duty compels them to either disclose that information to shareholders or abstain from trading. Uh, and so that's sort of what governs the legal trading behavior uh, of officers and directors. What's interesting about our sample is that we can identify uh, the audit report date, which uh, the PCOB basically requires the board to be briefed on or around that audit report date. And we know that that audit report, it doesn't come out until many, many days later to the public. So we know when some sort of, you know, um, internal corporate information event is occurring. We know that it's non-public, and we know that it's material because prior work shows that deficiencies with the audit, a going concern, an internal control weakness, deficient accounting practices have a material effect on stock price. And we suggest that, that there's a spike in trading around this particular date. 
And so while we can't say it's illegal because of the caveats that I mentioned earlier about, you know, case specific, you know, we identify, you know, a certain number of, of firms and individuals where it is as close as a large sample analysis can come to drawing, to drawing a, a, such an inference. So let's dig deeper into what you wrote in your paper and talk about the step-by-step um, -step process of what happens in an audit of a public company. I mean, most people don't know, you know, what that's about. Um, what kinds of things do auditors look at? What kinds of opinions do they issue? And what are some uh, maybe red flags? Right. So it's, it's a, that's a really, uh, really good question. Um, I think a, a couple of myths, you know, I think most people think that the audit is something that's very, very short. You know, it, it takes a couple of months and then it's done. There's a document or a certification that the audit's done and with the audit findings. And, and that's really a myth because a typical audit is really a year-round uh, year process. So just to walk through a, 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 a timing or a timeline, there's going to be uh, audit planning and interim procedures that, that test the, the company's uh, accounting and record keeping during the actual year. Then there'll be something called year-end field work where, you know, there'll be auditors out in the field, um, you know, doing, doing their work around the annual earnings announcement. There'll be a, a status update, you know, uh, if everything, uh, if, if the audit is progressing as it should, uh, there'll be a status update to, to the board shortly before uh, the company announces earnings to say, okay, you know, here are some outstanding issues. Here is, here is where we're at. Then the company is going to, you know, the typical company will then announce the earnings. The audit is not complete at that time now for 60% for of companies. And then the, the, uh, the audit's ongoing, trying to resolve any loose ends or, 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 or tie out any issues. And then the process culminates somewhere between the earnings announcement and the and the 10K filing date with the preparation of the audit report. And so the auditors prepared the audit report. Um, the PCOB Auditing Standard 1301 requires that the board is briefed close to the date that the audit report is finalized. That is known as the audit report date. That date is not known to the public, so there's a you can think of it as a board briefing date. And then the firm subsequently discloses the audit report that they were briefed on uh, in the 10K filing. So for our, for our purposes, there are really four dates at work here. There's the fiscal year end. There's the earnings announcement. There's the audit report date. And there's the 10K date. Now, the audit report date isn't going to be known to the market until the audit report is filed in the 10K. So everybody can observe. Everybody knows the fiscal year end date. Everybody knows the earnings announcement date. Everybody knows the 10K date. But it's not until the 10K is filed and the audit report becomes public that it is known what the audit report date is and the approximate date in which the uh, officers and directors were briefed on the, uh, uh, on the audit report. So that's sort of the timeline that we're looking at. And we're going to be looking at trades uh, in the study between the earnings announcement and the 10K and, and looking whether we see you know, changes in trading behavior uh, in that window and whether that correlates with the date of the audit report and the contents of the audit report. Now, to the contents of your audit report, you know, an audit report um, can issue what we, what we call a clean opinion, which means a standard boilerplate opinion. Everything looks great. Internal controls are in con you know, conformity with the standards. The accounting practices are in conformity with the standards. Or auditors can issue something known as a modified opinion. 
Um, now, it's, it's too strong to say that a modified opinion means that the company failed the audit. Okay, that's, that's, that's too strong. We, we have to use boilerplate terms like modified opinion. But within the modified opinion, there's going to be a lot of explanatory language. And the explanatory language could flag the firm as a going concern, meaning the auditors are concerned about the firm's continuing ability to operate, to be in business. Uh, there could be concern about deficiency with internal controls, a material weakness uh, over internal controls or over, uh, over financial reporting. The auditor could flag uh, certain issues of concern uh, having to deal with, say, um, in the past, stock, uh, stock compensation expense or option backdating or flag a restatement or flag that a new accounting standard has had a material effect uh, on the company's um, operations. And so what's, what's interesting about these reports is, is that, you know, they're all sort of, uh, in some sense, they're boilerplate. Um, and it's only a few key sentences that really provide all of the information content, such as a going concern or a, uh, or a, or a material weakness. And, and so again, those opinions come out in the 10 K. Uh, now what's interesting is that, you know, because they come out in the 10K and the firm has already announced earnings announcements, you know, already provided its earnings announcement, the company is going to have to mark in the earnings announcement that the financials it releases are unaudited in the earnings announcement. Now, what's interesting about that is that uh, prior research on auditor behavior has shown that auditors feel pressured to avoid flagging any issues in the audit report, given that the company has already announced earnings. So if a company already announces two cents per share and the auditor uncovers something that might lead to a revision to, to you know, minus a penny a share, the auditor is going to feel a lot of pressure from management to do what they can to avoid, you know, requiring, requiring such, a, such a revision. So the studies have shown that auditors are less likely to push for adjustments when the earnings number has already, uh, has already been, been released. And that in those circumstances, uh, auditors tend to be more biased and it lowers their judgment quality and makes them more likely to adopt the clients, uh, the firm's financial reporting reporting goal rather than to give an unbiased uh, unbiased opinion. Just a quick example uh, for, those that, for those of you that may be thinking, oh, you know, no, the auditors aren't biased. Certainly never happens, you know, in practice. You know, there are, there are instances of PCOB enforcement actions. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of against uh, Deloitte Partner on Navistar Financial 2008, who you know increased planning materiality by a substantial amount during the year end to avoid uh, uh, a, a revising the annual earnings that had already been announced unaudited. And so, an increasing phenomenon now, not to pick on that particular company, but an increasing phenomenon that we're seeing across the board. And uh, uh, we use the term stealth restatements. Is that the earnings announcement will come out at three pennies per share, but then in the 10K, you know, it won't be three pennies per share. It'll be three and a half pennies per share, or it'll be four pennies per share, and it'll get waived on a materiality threshold. So while the company has restated in some sense, they haven't actually restated because that first number was 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 unaudited. So I, I think the, the auditors are, I think people view auditors as some sort of, you know, and, and, and by analogy of viewing audit, auditing, they also view accounting professors as being some sort of, you know, boring bean counters who, who, sit, who sit around and just count the numbers. But there's actually a lot more 
you know, uh, at work than that, and a lot more sort of intrigue and uh, and 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 pressure and 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 potentially um, opportunistic uh, activities that are going on uh, between the earnings announcement and, and the 10K, and you know, auditors and have a role uh, have a role in that in some sense. Well, thank you for that. That's a wonderful explanation. Um, I want to uh, hone in on. Uh, something you mentioned, which was the uh, timing of the trades that you looked at in your research, and there were some very specific reasons why you chose that window. Uh, can you explain that a little bit? No, that's right. So, you know, a couple of a couple of caveats. You know, the sample. Well, I, I say that earlier. We're looking at the trades of all um, officers and directors uh, that are filed on Form Four with the, with the SEC. You know, there are a couple of there are a couple of of caveats. We're going to end up restricting the sample to a very narrow set of firms, um, and so the sample restrictions that we're going to drill down on are those firms where the audit report comes after the earnings announcement and more than ten days before the 10K filing. Okay, so again, to be in the sample, the audit report has to be after the earnings announcement and more than ten days before the 10K. So if you're a firm, if you're a general counsel, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, what is going on?" If your earnings announcement and 10K and audit report all fall on the same day, you're not in the sample. Okay, so it's a very narrow set of firms. Um, it's about um, just over 1,500 firms. And uh, within these firms, what we find is that the audit report, on average, occurs 20 days after the earnings announcement and 20 days before the 10K. So imagine a firm, they announce earnings, and somewhere 40 to 45 days later, they file the 10K. And right smack in the middle is the audit report date. Okay, so it's a very unique, unique set of firms. Um, and so it's not everyone that's out there. Uh, it's just a, a, this unique sample. And, and you know, 1,500 is a, is a pretty, good, pretty good amount. And then we're going to look on that audit report date. Okay, we're going to look at that audit report date that comes out about 20 days after the earnings announcement. We're going to look at the trades five days before and five days after the audit report date. So these trades are likely not about earnings announcements because the earnings announcements already come out 20 days ago. And they're likely not about the 10K per se or the information reported in the 10K other than the audit because the 10K is in, in 20 days. So we're going to focus on this wide window between the earnings announcement and the 10K, 40 days, and then we're going to pick out the audit report and do a really what we call a, an event study, look for a sharp discontinuity or break in the trading behavior of officers and directors in the five-day window around the, around the audit report date. And the reason we chose that window, okay, we, we chose that window in, intentionally because we want to try and rule out as many alternatives as possible. Again, I mentioned that we're coming at this with a Sherlock Holmes approach, okay, where we, we have no vested interest in, in, any, in any particular outcome. And so our approach here is to document patterns uh, come up with explanations and then systematically rule out those explanations. We would have been perfectly fine if there was a you know a, a benevolent explanation uh, for the for the behavior. But by focusing on this uh, on this window and the narrow five day window, it makes it less likely that there is an alternative explanation because there's no other systematic corporate event occurring at the same date as the audit report, and there's not any systematic news event that's going on that, that could potentially generate uh, uh, generate these trades. And so we, we focus very narrowly on this sample of firms and, and this particular date because we think this is where we can best identify opportunistic behavior. Now, that's not to suggest it's not going on elsewhere, 
but we think we feel most comfortable saying it is definitely going on in this in this narrow sample. Well, that's a good point because, um, you know, uh, when uh, insiders uh, sell stock, it could be for a number of reasons, like maybe they're buying a house and they need to um, fund, uh, you know, put down or buy it outright with cash, and so they, they do sales of securities. Um, what kinds of uh, securities did you actually look at in this insider trading activity? Uh, uh, good question. So um, we are looking at the open market purchases and sales of officers and directors. So again, open market purchases and sales. So uh, an option grant or a stock grant would not be considered. This has to be the executive actually selling um, shares on the open market or conversely purchasing shares uh, uh, on, the, on the open market. And so they're not, they're not trading with the firm per se. They're trading with sort of the, the, investing, the investing public uh, more generally. And so why did you um, exclude like options and uh, stock options, stock grants, et cetera? So with, with options and grants, you know, we, we, were, we didn't want this to be a compensation story. So, you know, what we haven't looked at is, is the timing necessarily of when, when the grant is given, when the restricted award vests or, or, or stuff like that, mainly because we want to rule out alternatives, right? An alternative, as you mentioned, could be that we would say the executive needs liquidity. Wants to buy a house. Wants to send his children to you know to college, um, and needs to needs to sh- sell shares for what we would say would be benevolent reasons, right? He needs the money. Maybe wants to uh, go on vacation or something like that. But then that would not necessarily be a correlated with in in time the actual audit report date, and so you know. What we're documenting is, you know, imagine a flat line or imagine an EKG reading, a flat line leading up to the audit report date. In the five days around the audit report date, there's this pronounced spike. And then after that, it goes back down, just like an EKG would detect a, a heartbeat. And so there, that's less likely that it's going to be liquidity, because why would you need to, to sell your shares to buy a house systematically, okay, systematically in big data? on the same date in which you're briefed by the auditor uh, on the outcome. And so that's what we try and rule out, we use to rule out the timing, uh, to rule out other sort of more benevolent uh, uses uh, for funds. There is an alternative uh, that that is um, sort of the, that comes to the front of our minds and that we were most concerned with is, is that because the trading blackout window is now open, whereas before it was closed, you might naturally see more trades and more purchases and more sales in this window, because now the executives are allowed to trade. Well, there's 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 two issues with that. The first one is, is that's you know yes that is a that that is true. That's why we selected these dates because the trading blackout window is open. So we wanted to have the opportunity executives to have the opportunity to trade. But just because the blackout window is open and you're going to observe naturally more trading doesn't necessarily get you to that that trading is correlated with the contents of the audit report. So it's important, you know, for the for the audience and for readers and uh, listeners to know is that not only are we finding a pronounced increase in trading around the audit report date, we're finding more trading when the audit report contains uh, a, a modified opinion, which is not a clean bill of health for the company. It might contain a going concern. It might contain a material weakness. It might have explanatory language around you know, a particular accounting issue. 
And so there, it's it's unlikely that uh, pent-up demand from the blackout window opening would necessarily be correlated with what the auditors actually actually found. Uh, the other the other interesting thing about this is we do not observe this phenomenon uh, in the other quarters. So in quarter one, and quarter two, and quarter three, um, this is not in the paper, but we've we've looked at it and we'll probably put it in the revised version of the paper. Um, is is that you don't observe this phenomenon now in quarter one, two, and three? They have blackout windows and there are still earnings announcements, but you don't observe the spike because well, there's no audit report date for quarters one, two, and three. And so we, we've tried to sort of, what you'd say, throw a bunch of uh, explanations at this and see if we can, you know, that I think most reasonable people would agree would be predictions of those explanations and see if we can, you know, rule it out. And, you know, the spike and the fact that the spike varies with whether it's a clean bill of health from the auditor, you know, is, is quite, you know, it's, it's quite astounding uh, to us because as academics, we always approach something from a very skeptical, a very skeptical or cynical uh, perspective. Um, and the other thing that is in the paper that I should mention is, is that because we have the Form 4s, we can drill down on individuals and individuals' roles in the company. So, for example, is it the directors that are trading? Is it the officers that are trading? Is it the audit committee members that are trading? Is it the non-audit committee members that are trading? And so the, the data suggests that it, it, it's not the officers that are trading after the audit report. So the, the findings suggest that directors are trading on or shortly after the audit report, and that the the officers tend to be trading before the audit report, which in some sense is consistent with the timing of when we might think certain directors might learn. So officers and the audit committee members might be aware of the audit findings before the entire board. But, but uh, uh, the non-audit committee, those that are not financial experts, are more likely to learn about the audit you know, not always, but more likely statistically to learn about the audit for the first time around the audit report date. So you also mentioned pronounced trading activity. And in your paper, you call it abnormal trading activity. Can you quantify that? Like by, by what percentage is it over, I don't know, the 30-day average or average trades of, of the insider? How did you uh, look at that? Yeah, so it, it's important, you know, when, when, when running these analyses and looking at, at insider trading, that one takes out the expected level of trading based on or normal level of trading based on either the firm characteristics, right? So a large firm may be compensating its executives in equity. And so because the executives are getting large equity grants, they're going to be more likely to sell because as we mentioned, you know, they want to buy a house or send their kids to college or whatnot. And so you would want to control for that, uh, control for the expected level of trading as it varies with firm characteristics like size, uh, how much uh, equity compensation the executives are given. Um, and you can even control for individual attributes. Maybe some, some executives always sell out their equity as soon as they, as soon as they get it. They prefer not to keep, keep equity. So this is the, the term abnormal trading. So when we use the term abnormal trading, that's, that's trading that is not normal. Okay? It, uh, a spike, for example, in, in calendar time or in temporal time something that you, you wouldn't expect, uh, expect, to, uh, expect to see, taking out or after controlling for in the statistics or in the analytics, controlling for various firm characteristics and, and, and individual characteristics. And what we found around the, the audit report date in that five-day window, we're looking at sort of a higher than a, a, um, a probability of trade, a probability of sale, excuse me, of, of higher than, than, than 8%. Um, 
So that's 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 pretty high because the normal and, and again you know you can uh, look at the uh, uh, look at the paper for the uh, the precise numbers. The normal is is going to be around five uh, percent or or less than five percent. And so you know in certain settings we act, we actually documented the probability of a sale. So not probably of a trade, but probably of a sale more than doubles. Okay, and that's. We might be talking like low numbers, right? The probability of a trade on any day is is eight percent. I mean, that's actually quite a big number because that's on any given day. That's not over a certain window. So, any given day, there's an eight percent probability of or nine percent probability of a sale. What's interesting is that when you split that by whether they have a clean audit opinion or a modified audit opinion around the audit report date, the clean audit opinion group has a six percent probability of a sale on the day of the audit report. And the modified group has about a 9% probability of a of a sale. So that's, you know, that's a 50, you know, a 50% increase. And again, you say, oh, well, 9%, that's not very much. Think about that at the daily level. So 9% today, 9% tomorrow, 9% three days from now. And as you aggregate over windows, larger and larger windows, to be a, a much greater likelihood that a uh, that a sale will actually will actually occur. So the 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 magnitudes or the changes that we document, I should say, the changes that we document are meaningful relative to the to the baseline. Wow, that's really uh, quite astounding uh, what you found. Um, you also said in your paper that looking at insider trading activity based on audit reports is particularly critical this year because of a big change in auditing standards. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a great point. It's, it's one reason why you know, the, I think the paper is, is very timely. Um, there are going to be new auditing, new auditing standards that you know, auditors and mo- those of you that follow auditors are aware of, new auditing standards that go into effect uh, the close of 2019 and 2020 that require auditors to include a discussion of what is known as critical audit matters in the audit report. Okay, and so critical audit matters, um, for those of you that aren't aware or aren't following the, the rules, are matters that have been communicated to the audit committee and to the board by the, by the auditor and are related to accounts or disclosures that have a uh, uh, material effect on the financial statements. That involved especially challenging and subjective auditor judgment. So one of the myths I think about accounting, um, at least that I always get, is oh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're you're counting beans, and you know, I wish at some level I was counting beans. That would make accountants' job much much easier, and would rule out some of the opportunistic behavior that we observe out there. But in reality, there is an incredible amount of subjective judgment that goes into, you know, whether. Um, the accounting treatment is permissible or whether it crosses a materiality threshold that would require a, a restatement or, a, or a, a, change in, a change in disclosure. And so what critical audit matters are going to, um, are going to do is basically the notion or at least the, the hope is, is in some sense disclose those away to basically for the auditor to say, uh, hey, you know, this particular area is something that, that the investor should look at because it was very challenging for us to audit this and very challenging. It was, you know, it was really came down to a matter of, uh, of judgment. And so the reason that, that these changes were, were made, at least, uh, you know, ostensibly that the regulator said the changes were made, 
was to make the audit report more informative. Okay, so uh, former PCOB uh, chair James Doty, you know, gave a gave a speech basically saying that you know these new the new audit report is going to give investors the information that, that they've been asking for that they that they want and that it's material to their you know to their decision making. Now that information is already being communicated to the board. But under the old regime, it's just not being communicated to investors. And now it's going to be communicated to investors. So there'll be less of an information gap when it comes to the audit between the, the board and investors. Now, there certainly will still be an information gap, but, but, but maybe, maybe a little less. And what that will mean is that the audit report will be, uh, will be highly engagement-specific. So there'll be less boilerplate involved because it'll be more involved with what the issues were at this particular company, or that's at least the hope. No one knows, right? We haven't, we haven't seen, seen these come out um, in a great, uh, great number yet. And so what's, what's interesting about that is it's a double-edged sword. Uh, if the auditing standard is successful and it makes the auditing report more informative and more meaningful, and it causes prices to change more. You know, it becomes a more material disclosure. Perversely, that increases the incentive for individuals to front-run the disclosure of the audit report. Right? Think about it. If the disclosure doesn't move markets, then the incentives to, to front-run the report are, are not very high. But if the report or the disclosure is very, very meaningful and prices change a lot, then you have a much more of an incentive to, to front-run the report. And so... You know, this is, you know, we're speculative at this point because no one's seen what these look like. We just know what, what the hope is and the goal is. Um, it's just something to think about that, you know, there is this double-edged sword. There is this trade-off. And, you know, for regulators, PCOB, the SEC, um, you know, various parties out there, investors, uh, to be aware and to, you know, draw heightened scrutiny to whether there's a systematic shift in, in the timing of trades or the timing of audits under the new uh, – uh, under the new the new standard. So I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask what message you hope to send to company boards, to regulators, and academics regarding your findings. No, I mean that's that's a that's obviously that's sort of like the the coup de gras in some sense. That's that's what it comes down to. Um, you know what what are the implications? What can we you know what can we do? I mean I do think that the you know, one of the key implications is, is that we need to limit the trading of personnel involved with involved with the audit. Um, now, again, I want to underscore that the study is primarily concerned with firms where the audit is completed after the earnings announcement. Okay, so let's just take that as given. So, for such firms where the audit is completed after the earnings announcement. There, there are two easy, you know, I, I use the word easy, it should be, uh, you know, maybe it's not that easy. Easy to say, not easy to implement. The first is to delay announcing earnings until the 10K filing. So bundle the release of the audited financials with the earnings announcement. Okay, that's, that's easy. Easier said than done, of course, because investors want, uh, they want their information, and they want it now, which is what the driving force was between why firms are announcing earnings before the audit report's complete. Okay, but that's one fix. The earnings announcement, the audit report, and the 10K, all on the same day. Right? The second option, barring that, is to alter the terms of the firm's insider trading policy. Okay, so this, this is for the general counsels out there, for the uh, corporate controllers, whoever's in charge of the firm's in, uh, insider trading policy that writes the blackout windows. If your firm 
has a blackout window that is written narrowly around the earnings announcement, and your firm is a firm that has the audit complete after the earnings announcement, you might want to think about, to reduce litigation risk, lengthening the blackout window to extend through the disclosure of the 10K. Now, I know there are firms out there, I've talked to many general counsels, there are some that say, oh my goodness, this is, this is, we're going to make this change, we, we hadn't really thought about that. There are other general counsels that say, we already take the blackout window through the 10K. Um, there hasn't really been any systematic benchmarking on what, what, these, the, uh, what most firms are doing, but it's fair to say the best practices, based on my own research um, and, and previous studies as well, is best practices are the blackout window extends from the earnings announcement all the way through the 10K, and that would resolve any trading around the audit report date. It's only really those firms where the audit occurs after the earnings announcement and the blackout window is written around the earnings announcement that, that, there's a, that there's an issue. So in this case, you know, I don't want to say a straightforward fix, but there are implementable uh, implementable fixes, and each you know each has has certain trade offs uh, associated with them. So, how is your research different from prior work in this area? Um, you know, there, surprisingly, you know, there's there's a lot of academic work on insider trading. That's perhaps that's not surprising, but what is more surprising to us is is that there's very little around what we'll call internal information events. So, for example, you know, there's lots of work on trading around earnings announcements and lots of work around trading around equity offerings and uh, trading around uh, share buybacks and dividend announcements because all of those are public events. And so you can write algorithms to run and to look at trading around the public events. Um, and so, but this is one of the first papers to look at trading uh, around what we call an internal information event where the event isn't known to the market at the time that it occurred. Another example would be a board meeting. Um, you know, board meeting dates do not have to be publicly disclosed, right? And so we're, we're in the process right now of, of trying to acquire data sets uh, on board meeting dates and then examine trading around those, those board meeting dates. And so, you know, prior work and academic work on insider trading has really looked at trading around public, public events and, um, and, uh, and that's, that's sort of where many of the insider trading cases uh, you know, come from, as you see that the trading will be in conjunction with something that was you know, publicly known, as opposed to trading in conjunction with a, a private event that wouldn't have, you know, that would only have known that it occurred uh, 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 with hindsight. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really where I think the literature is going. What we're trying to do in this paper is to look at events that are not particularly obvious candidates. Uh, for for uh, insider trading. So, how will you follow up this research? So that's another good question. You know, the, the the paper is not yet is not yet public, so we're still still revising it, as I mentioned earlier, to sort of rule out alternatives. Um, and uh, and one thing that we're thinking about doing is looking at trading around the audit report to see whether it predicts future restatements and fraud cases. So that in those situations, that's where the audit would be, you know, the most material in some sense. You know, imagine being in the board where you learn that the auditor has detected some irregularity with the inventory or detected some irregularity with a special purpose entity, right? You may not be engaged in the fraud yourself, but this will be your first chance to see the auditor's concern and, and expression about these instances of, uh, of fraud or of, of major accounting issues. And you may, you know, you may be tempted to trade on that, on that information. And so what we're, 
thinking about doing is looking at trades by the board around the briefing date and to see whether that predicts in the future, you know, using historical data, whether they will be uh, a fraud or a or a restatement. And the initial uh, the initial evidence uh, it looks looks like you know it it will be predictive, uh, and th and that sort of makes sense if you think about how human human behavior works. When's the audit report most meaningful? When they uncover something really really bad, and that's when the incentives to trade are uh, are the highest. And I mentioned you know now that we have. Uh, sort of our algorithm set up for this particular event, you know, we're thinking about looking at other events like board meetings, um, FDA approval dates for, for pharmaceuticals, um, and really sort of doing a deep dive on what we would call non-traditional events outside of earnings announcements or dividends or, 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 or share buybacks. Well, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for a fascinating conversation, and thank you for joining us at the studio. Thank you. For more of these insights, you can go to our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. All of our podcasts are on iTunes, and we welcome your reviews. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.